whether prayer is an act of futility or merely beyond our comprehension. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg, and this is the second of what's going to be a three-part series this summer that I'm calling the Summer of Struggle. The first episode came out at the very beginning of June, looking at a spiritual discipline that I simply have never really practiced, in fasting. This time, I'm going to take a look at a spiritual discipline that I practice a great deal. And yet at the same time, especially this particular summer, I've been struggling with. And next time, we're going to look at pilgrimage, sometime during the month of August. But to focus first on prayer, and to put it into context of why I think this summer in particular is going to be difficult, I feel like I need to lead off by saying that I had already identified way before the month of June that prayer was going to be the centerpiece of this summer of struggle here on Walk the Earth. And that was all before anything that you know kind of happened during the month in terms of uh, terror attacks uh, in Europe and here in the United States, and particularly what went on in Orlando. I'm referring, of course, specifically here to the events of June 12th and the nightclub shooting at Pulse, where you know more than 100 people were shot, half of them dying. And the reaction that I documented on Inappropriate Conversations of so many people across the political spectrum, but particularly elected officials, simply dismissing the concerns over whether gay people were specifically targeted or the uh, the readily available usage of guns or misusage of guns in this particular case, or, or even for many people, even ignoring the real risk of whether this individual was acting out of some sort of a hate crime, whether inspired by ISIS, as he claimed, with very little sort of evidence backing up that ISIS had any knowledge of what this individual shooter was doing, or whether it had been you know one of those more sort of like uh, right-wing reactionary things, like what happened a year or so before in Charleston, South Carolina. All of that was dismissed, for the most part, by American politicians with hashtag pray for Orlando. It's as if the word pray or the or the concept of prayer was being used dismissively. I referred to it online with the comment that for a lot of these Christians, uh, I'll pray for you is sort of the by Felicia comment to refer to the movie Friday, uh, telling, in this case, the gay community to go away, uh, that they won't be missed, and that it's not even important enough to know their name right on their way out the door. And I document some of those thoughts, not that particular one, but some other thoughts I've had around that question in uh, Inappropriate Conversations number 186 called Consent, released on the 1st of July. And I haven't really been able to sit down and make a podcast recording since then, in part because of my reaction to some of the news of the day. Now, that episode had more in it uh, and took an inappropriate conversations perspective on it. It was really about uh, consent and segregation, but I mentioned Orlando and Brexit and uh, other issues along the way. And my thought on it was that we're just a little bit too dismissive, a little bit too glib about how we throw out the concept of prayer. 
If you go back to July 9th on the Walk the Earth Facebook page, one of the two things I shared on that particular day, perhaps thinking that at any moment I might be able to answer this Walk the Earth question, uh, didn't turn out to be true. Weeks have gone by. But I want to share both these July 9th posts on Facebook today here on Walk the Earth to help me answer this question. Uh, one of them is a meme. It's a meme using footage from Apollo 13, where the Tom Hanks character level up in the spaceship in space, realizing that something's gone wrong with their spaceship, says, Houston, we have a problem. And in this case, the answer coming back from command and control is sending thoughts and prayers. The implication being that sending thoughts and prayers is sufficient to deal with the problem. And of course, those of us who know anything about the Apollo 13 story, either from history or from books and articles or from the movie that starred Tom Hanks, you'd have to come away with the conclusion that that really wasn't the end of it. There was, in some ways, a sense, at least in the movie version, that there were a lot of people who were praying and whose approach to the matter was both genuinely thoughtful and genuinely prayerful, but they did something with it. It wasn't throwing up our hands, there's nothing we can do. Perhaps this is the judgment of God falling upon these astronauts for something they may have done or something in their personal life. And it's that sort of connection between um, using prayer as a way of kind of washing your hands as a Christian person and also maybe pointing a finger of accusation at somebody who is dealing with a genuine crisis all at once. And so if I wasn't dealing with a bit of a of a struggle, if not a crisis of my relationship with prayer as a concept before the month of June, which is an accurate statement, I certainly would have started having that problem in my response to the Orlando shootings and more my response to the political reaction. And it must be said, fair to say, the conservative political reaction to that particular attack and what it meant. The other article that I wanted to share was posted July 6th, 2016, from John Pavlovitz. It can be found at johnpavlovitz.com slash 2016 slash 07 slash 06. Why Christians need to stop praying. Now, I'm going to name John Pavlovitz as a different drummer. That's a certainty. The question is to win. And right now, for reasons that will be clear later this year, I'm circling a date closer to New Year's Eve, to make an uh, inappropriate conversation show that names Pavlovitz as a different drummer. And, of course, I'll share now here on Walk the Earth that part of the reason I'm thinking in this direction is that this is not the first time that I've been dealing with something that makes me struggle. Either it makes me angry or it causes me a great deal of dismay or even, even at times a little bit of confusion. And Pavlovitz has spoken the right words at the right time into those questions. And this is one of them. So I'm going to share just a little bit from this particular blog, but I want to do so after putting a bit of scripture in place, because I'm guessing that it's perhaps the same exact scripture that Pavlovitz himself would have been looking for had he been trying to tie his blog post as a message to a particular passage from the Bible. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, probably the best known passage from the letter of James. And it goes like this. My brothers and sisters... What good is it for people to say that they have faith if their actions do not prove it? Can that faith save them? Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? So it is with faith. If it is alone and includes no actions, then it is dead. 
But someone will say, one person has faith, another has actions. My answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. This is the passage that gives us the popular phrase, faith without works is dead. I think what James is getting at here is that prayers without a response to that prayer from the person raising the prayer is dead. The argument I'm going to be making here, I believe, as I try to work my way through this question of what is my relationship with prayers, I want to reject uh, prayers before a football game that we win. Because that is simultaneously a prayer that the other team might lose. This is the second time I've looked at prayer on Walk the Earth, and I'm sure there will be some similarities. The first time, as I recall, I quoted you know a website, a meme from a website that said, you know, thanking God for sparing your house in the tornado that leveled your neighbor's house next door is a little bit like thanking a serial killer for sparing you by murdering the family next door. I'm going to reject those kinds of prayers. And I'm also going to reject the glib hashtag pray for Orlando idea if it doesn't have any action behind it. Now, I'm not presuming to tell either a Republican or Democrat or independent congressional representative how to do their job. I'm not saying that your prayers are worthless unless you pass this specific legislation that addresses the issue in the way I exactly and specifically want it done. But to say that you're praying for the victims of Orlando and their families when you're lifting a finger, no finger to do anything about it, when you're not taking even one step in that direction, strikes me as something that fell, that runs completely afoul of Scripture. James, in his letter, would describe that as being faith without works. He would call it dead. Here's what John Pavlovitz had to say. And again, words that he raised in the month of July after I'd spent probably five or six weeks going through in my head the thoughts of what I was going to say when I got to the walk the earth question of looking at prayer far more critically. I looked at prayer once a couple of years back, basically saying that prayer is more than just uh, safe travels and hoping somebody gets well from a disease and you know, certainly more than hoping my team wins the game this weekend. But this time I want to look at it from the perspective of whether an argument can be made that prayer itself is actually pointless and futile. Because I think until you get to the point of asking that question, then there are certain realities about prayer that can't be understood, let alone explored. But first, the words of Pavlovitz. I'm so tired of Christian prayers. I imagine God is, too. I'm quite certain that the people we so readily say that we're praying for are tired of them. Praying for hungry people instead of skipping our second latte of the day and buying them lunch. Praying for a friend battling depression instead of sitting with them for a few minutes and really listening. Praying for families of murdered black men instead of speaking directly into the institutionalized racism and in law enforcement and the darkness of our own hearts. Praying for the victims of sexual assault instead of dealing with the misogyny, sexism, and pornography that devalue young women in the eyes of young men. Praying for the LGBTQ community when they are terrorized, instead of demanding that churches fully affirm their humanity and celebrate their inclusion. Praying for innocent American Muslims who endure violence, instead of calling out ignorant bigotry from our preachers and politicians that incubate hatred. Praying for victims of another mass shooting, instead of fully engaging in the battle for legislation that would make guns more difficult to purchase. Stop praying already, Christian. Stop tossing off hollow words to the ether 
when you're standing on the bloody ground of a hurting world. Stop being on the front lines of suffering and calling some invisible backup you hope will come. Stop acting as if so much of the terrible stuff passing in front of you is beyond you. And stop feeling so stinking good about yourself for feeling bad. Your compassion alone is useless. You need to get your hands dirty. He goes on to talk about the notion of prayer being this act of washing your hands and passing the buck and um, leaving it all up to God and not recognizing how important it is that our faith have action behind it and therefore our prayers have action behind them. He finishes his blog post a little further on like this. Christian, the boldest prayer you can utter in these days is a prayer that you begin to live more fully into the calling your faith has placed upon your life. The one that dares you to love and serve and give and sacrifice and mourn and give a far greater damn than you pretend to do most of the time. So many hungry, hurting, invisible, disregarded, brutalized people are not so because God has yet to move, but because the people of God are so reluctant to. Pray less, move more, that we who claim Christ would begin to emulate him. This is the only prayer I'm praying today. John Pavlovitz. So we've heard from the Bible in the book of James, and we've heard from one of my favorite Christian bloggers in John Pavlovitz. And to me, it continues to raise questions. If we look at this either-or that I presented, which probably makes it inherently false because it is an either-or, But play along with me for a minute, because I'm truly wrestling with something deeper here than even just this specific set of choices. Is prayer an act of futility, or simply beyond our comprehension? Do we just play along, go with the flow, do what we've always done around here, imitate the person with his head bowed next to us? Or do we actually try to make a distinction and do something, well, do something that has genuine faith behind it, to refer again to the letter from James, to the church universal. I guess what I would say is referring back to the previous Walk the Earth question that was looking at this issue. It was Walk the Earth 19, released in October of 2014, answering the question of whether travel, health, rain, and other hopes should be the primary focus of prayer. Now I'm less worried about the focus and more worried about the mechanics. What are we doing and what does it mean? Because again, If I'm merely praying that um, my kid finishes in first place, am I not on some level actually praying that God will somehow intervene and make every other kid lose that same race? No, the conclusion I drew the first time I looked at prayer here on Walk the Earth was the most powerful prayer I was aware of was a simple one, and in some ways kind of a dangerous one, because it asks a question back, and if that question gets an answer, you're almost incumbent to do whatever the answer is. Now, this, of course, presumes that I'm speaking to a Christian audience, one that believes in prayer, one that believes that the Holy Spirit exists and that prayers can be answered. But that prayer, Lord, what would you have me do, kind of signs you up. It's raising your hand. It's volunteering to act. And in some ways, it's volunteering to correct the issue that Pavlovitz was talking about. It's time for bolder prayer prayer that we live more fully and that we live in the calling of the faith that's been placed on our life and that this God dares us to love and dares us to serve and dares us to give and dares us to sacrifice. And that sacrifice could be 
uh, simply in the form of uh, showing up and helping out or mourning with others or providing correction to those who would ignore the cries of the needy, who would miss the point that Jesus makes in Matthew 25 about you know, being there for people who are sick and hungry and homeless and lost and uh, in prison, that these are the things that we are called to do when Jesus says words like, go and do likewise. But let me acknowledge that sometimes this go and do likewise idea is more than just a little bit overwhelming. It isn't always easy for us to know exactly what to say and what to do in situations like a hundred people shot, half of them dead in Orlando, or a terrorist attack halfway across the world. My connection to what happened in Orlando is very indirect. I listen to a podcast almost every week, and that podcast includes a podcaster whose daughter knows somebody who was in the nightclub at the time. So I've got some sense of this could have been somebody I know, because that's a very real thing. But when you're talking about events in Turkey and France and Iraq, it's almost definitely not anybody I know. So it isn't going to be the easiest thing in the world to personalize it. Ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do? And turn that into a direct answer, a direct, in my life, I know how to handle this. And I think so often we worry that just writing a check to the right you know, fundraising campaign will address the issue, will make it right. And maybe it is appropriate that on some level, some time is spent meditating on what has happened here and what can I think differently and therefore speak or write differently that would make a change in my behavior that would, on some flapping of butterfly wings level, eventually make a greater difference if the wind generated by my shift in action is joined by other people who are correspondingly taking a change in their approach or their focus or their action and generating that hurricane on the other side of the world to use that butterfly effect analogy. So I'm caught up thinking about the opposites. If there's a thing about prayer that I think is not real, not genuine, uh, perhaps not the way I want to spend my time, um, what is the opposite of that? And, and I guess I'll look at it from a couple of different perspectives. So let's say I'm going to reject the idea of praying for my sports team to win, because it is quite possible that even if Jesus was standing beside me right now, he would confess to me that as excited as he is for me personally, that I'm excited that the Cleveland Cavaliers won a basketball game and took a championship as a result of the bad victory and had a big parade in downtown Cleveland and for a million plus people in that same area, no major acts of violence or destruction were done. And as good as that may be, I think Jesus would also say, you know, I don't really care about the game itself. This isn't about the game. But what are, what do we do with the people who, whenever there's a tornado and that tornado, you know, blows through a inner city section of, you know, midtown or downtown and you know, knocks over a Planned Parenthood location or an abortion clinic, and the very first thing you hear from a lot of politically active Christians is that that's God's judgment against those people and that institution and that business because of performing abortion. And we hear this a lot. I mean, there's it's not hard to find documentary evidence of American Christian pastors who have prayed for the death of President Obama. Not just praying that his presidency will do less damage to their vision of what America is and how America should function, but that he actually fall over dead. Well, what do you do with those kinds of prayers? And I guess what I would say is, 
that if we're if a if a flood hits a church instead of an abortion clinic, is that equally answered prayer? Or is this entire notion of praying that God either will or won't let a storm level a building, is is that inherently an act of futility? Let's take a look at the things that I mentioned the first time I looked at prayer on Walk the Earth and see how many of them strike me as being you know, nothing more than, you know, at least arguably this act of futility idea, this superstition idea, praying for rain or praying that there won't be a flood, for example, um, or, you know, to some extent praying that this particular girl will be the right one for my son or this particular boy would be the right one for my daughter or my son or all that sort of stuff. I think when Jesus modeled prayer and gave us some examples we could work with throughout the Gospels, but particularly looking just at Matthew chapter 6, the concept that he started there was, was thy will be done. And that concept goes on in other prayers throughout the Gospels, particularly the accounts in um, the Garden of Gethsemane near the end of the Gospel accounts, where Jesus is facing that imminent moment of about to be arrested, about to be crucified, and he is still raising that same kind of prayer, that thy will be done prayer. But it it feels awkward to be in a prayer circle where someone's saying they're about to take a big, long plane trip for the first time, and they've always wanted to go to Florida or California or wherever, but they're afraid of being on a plane for that length of time. And so they're praying for God's mercy to bless their travel and to keep them safe during the trip. Seems almost confrontational to, at that point, in the midst of this prayer circle, steer the prayer in the direction of, well, God's will be done, whatever will be, will be. So I'm not sure when you look at these two sides of the coin that it presents a much more satisfactory answer until I look at it from the perspective of how I view all of this in the context of time. Now, Inappropriate Conversations, as a podcast, has dealt with questions of time on more than one occasion in the past. And I'll just refer to them to anyone who would rather have a an intellectual sort of a discussion of sorts, a conversation, as I call them, on these issues from June 2011, Inappropriate Conversations 61 was dealing with the, the notion of uh, accepting the limitations of time, that perhaps time actually doesn't exist, or maybe the belief in time is our biggest problem. And then I came along a little bit later and wanted to deal a little bit more specifically with it. And in Inappropriate Conversations 143, Verticality of Time, that was in May of 2014. It is almost this verticality of time idea that I want to look at. Because to me, the perspective on time is that when we're dealing with a necessary being, when we're dealing with God, we're talking about the eternal now. We're talking about... Asking for God to do something, not in the future, even though we may perceive it as the future, and not in the past, but in this moment of eternal now. So I may not be uh, weighing in one way or the other on whether my team wins or the other team wins that football game. And I may not be weighing in one way or the other over what the weather is going to do, or, or even what is going to happen inside the cockpit of an airplane. But I can certainly, even weeks before that trip, surround that friend or that loved one of mine in prayer and pray that their experience of that moment, which to them is the future, but to God is happening right now, that they may be surrounded with the love and comfort of the Holy Spirit, this concept of paraclete, one who comes alongside and provides comfort and wisdom and knowledge. That 
That is a prayer that I can get behind. That is a prayer that does not strike me as an act of futility. Because it doesn't assume that there's some magic formula that I can use to influence or control the future. Because to God, that future is right now. It's not about to happen, and he knows it already because he's omniscient and can see the future. It's that he's also omnipresent, and that all points in time, past, present, and future from our limited perspective, is right now. How would I pray for that individual who is afraid to fly if I was on the plane next to them at that very moment? Wouldn't I perhaps do nothing more than hold their hand? Wouldn't that holding of their hand be enough? And shouldn't the prayer be some sort of verbal equivalent of that? Because, you know, it reminds me of the old, the old saying by St. Teresa that God has no hands but ours, no feet but ours. That the actions that the Holy Spirit wants us to take in the world, the things God wants us to do, he is asking us to do. This ties into the end of what Pavlovitz is talking about, that we have so many hungry and hurting people in the world. And the problem is not that God hasn't moved, but that we haven't moved. That God is calling for us to comfort the mourner and to raise the spirits of those who are downhearted, to see the people who either are invisible or perceive themselves as invisible, to regard the disregarded. Hashtag pray for Orlando is not enough. We need to be talking as directly as we can, if not face to face, then in second person kinds of conversations, me and you kinds of conversations, even if that's in 140 characters on Twitter or just over the internet, or through a private message, or a handwritten letter in the mail to say, you are here, you are real, and you matter. Now, I did actually make a commitment to myself that the first time I found one of my friends, particularly a friend from the LGBTQ community that I felt was was down and hurting and um, and feeling it as a result, not just of what happened directly in Orlando, but because of the glib kinds of responses that came through the media from our elected politicians, and to be honest, a fair number of our pastors, after the fact, that I would write a sincere, heartfelt, and passionate, for want of a better word, you-matter-to-me response. I did that. I probably should still be doing it. It probably is the answer to the prayer. It's what we should be praying for. It's what pray for Orlando or for those who've been hurt or frightened or marginalized by Orlando. It's what that actually should mean. The eternal now. Right now, somebody is experiencing something. Meaning that if you compare it to that sports analogy, at any point during that football game, you're praying for an outcome that's already happened. You know, you may be saying, oh, goodness, we need to score on this drive. Lord, please help us win the game. But God's probably sitting there saying, dude, the game's already over. I'm watching it right now. It's the first quarter. It's the fourth quarter. It's three weeks later. It's two seasons ago when your team wasn't even playing this team. It's understanding God's understanding of time that is the big difference in coming to what the real meaning of answered prayer can be. Our question today is whether prayer is an act of futility or simply beyond our comprehension. And if anyone is shaking their head at me 
because I have a different understanding of medieval philosophy than they do. And there are different camps even within Christianity and the philosophy of religion about whether necessary being is a concept (laughs) at all, a valid one, or what it might mean if it is a valid one. But I would just tell you that if you're shaking your head because you think I've got this wrong, or I've gone in a completely off-the-bend, esoteric, unnecessarily abstract direction, then that's a positive answer. Because that sense, that logic, dismisses the idea of prayer being nothing more than an act of futility, and shifts it into the category of saying, hey, maybe it's really just beyond our comprehension. Maybe I should look at a politician who's at least willing to acknowledge that people have been hurt and need comfort, and and use pray for Orlando as their way of expressing that idea, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's better than just saying, eh, there's nothing we can do. People are going to buy guns. The Internet's going to open up communication to a worldwide audience. Stuff's going to go wrong. Uh, In fact, I remember it was one of the Bushes, I think it was probably Jeb Bush, that dismissed the shooting in Oregon, I think, was saying, hey, stuff happens. Well, no. Stuff happens is our way of saying prayer is a pointless act of futility. It's nothing more than perhaps even just a um, a propagandistic notion of one religion believing that it has the authority to lord over everybody else. But if, like me, you have this belief in answered prayer, if you think that prayer is real because you've experienced it, experienced it in a very direct and personal way, then maybe for me the gamut isn't futility versus just beyond our comprehension. Maybe the answer for me is it's, of course, beyond our comprehension. So sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's going to come out a little silly. But it also is a way of connecting in this exact moment with that eternal now. It's a way of, of realizing that if there is a God, that God understands what happened in that Orlando nightclub on June 12th. He was there at that time. And if we wanted to sympathize or empathize, that's a way of tapping in. But it's equally a way of tapping in to the pain and confusion of the families that night and the next morning, of the mourners a little bit later at the funeral, and perhaps even in righteous anger at politicians who claim to believe that there is a God to whom we should pray, but don't seem to have the first clue about how to do it. I'm not sure. I left open a space here for me to offer some words of personal testimony, and I think there's time, and perhaps I'm willing to answer the kind of question within the question. And that's, uh, if I'm going to dismiss the idea that prayer is an act of futility, well, then why? And if I'm going to say that prayer is important to me and that I've experienced it in a way that makes it worth the struggle, well, then why? And I think the reason why for me is that I have experienced answered prayer. Now, let me be as deferential as I possibly can here. And Usually when I share any part of this story, I, I do it from two two angles. One is that I don't expect my experience to be like everyone's experience. Past experience is not an indicator of future results. Uh, wipe it up with all the disclaimers you need to wipe it up with. I'm not saying something happened to me and therefore it can or should happen to everybody else. That's not what I mean by it. And I'm also more than willing to acknowledge the fact that the human brain is also beyond our comprehension. And on the one hand, the Lord works in mysterious ways. But on the other hand, human physiology does too. And maybe things I might describe when I do share this story could easily be dismissed as some sort of, you know, seizure or freak incident. But the things I'm going to describe, these are on the verge of being, on the verge of being 30 years ago. And it's kind of staggering to me that that much time has gone by. But I will tell you that the events that I'm going to describe could have happened yesterday. It could have happened 
yesterday. It's very real to me then, as if I'm, again, on some level tapping into some sort of an eternal now. But I find myself in a bad situation on February 7th, 1987, at 1.37 in the morning. Um, Central Time, for anybody who's interested. Uh, Central Standard Time, in, during the winter time, that time of year. And in that moment, I kind of felt as if, on a metaphorical level, that the Lord had grabbed me by my uh, by the shoulders of the shirt I was wearing, picked me up, leaned me up against a wall in a non-violent way, and said, you need to listen to me. There's something I've got to tell you. I was in a panic because I realized that somebody that I'd relatively recently befriended was in a precarious position, might be facing some sort of misunderstanding that could lead to, at the very least, sexual embarrassment, if not date rape, by the end of the night, and that I was the one who had created this double date scenario, and I was the designated driver, and therefore on some level empowering people to not worry about how much they drank. I had a drunk couple in my living room at the end of the night where she was too far out of it to affirmatively consent, using our modern terminology. And he was reading her casual air as a signal that she was up for anything. And neither one of them were willing to stay at my apartment for the night. They were going back to his place that had originally been planned. And it seemed to me that there might be some consequences. And I was uttering the prayer that I've talked about on both of these walk-the-earth questions. I'm in a tough spot here. Lord, what would you have me do? And the answer that I got was, you've got some information that you're supposed to have conveyed, that I'd already gotten answers to prayer that said, stay close to this person, get to know her better, set up this double date, make sure she has your phone number, make sure she has your fiancé's phone number, um, make sure that uh, she understands what you mean by friendship, and that this door is open, and that she's in a great position to share with you anything and ask of you anything, because... Unlike the guy that she was with on this date, there was a 0% chance that you were going to take advantage of her and seek something in return for your time and for your friendship. And of course, I'd ignored that. I, I was aware of it, and I actually had taken time to actually type up a letter with all that information and more in it, and had chosen not to deliver it. I refer to it... I've referred to it in past episodes of Inappropriate Conversations, in fact, as a, as a moment of semi-obedience. And on some level, direct and absolute disobedience is maybe even safer than partial obedience. There's a recklessness to it when you do anything halfway. And here I was in the middle of doing things halfway and realizing that whether, whether I had doubts in my mind that days earlier it was the Lord who inspired me to put those words to paper, I didn't have any doubt about it now. Because... That should have happened. That would have created all of the space I needed to have a conversation at that moment with the young woman. I needed her date to be out of the room for a minute so I could talk to her frankly and directly. And I needed to perhaps rewrite this letter to answer the question, to provide some phone numbers, and mainly to ask her if she was aware of the fact that this mutual acquaintance of ours was expecting to have sex with her that very night. So what would you have me do? I asked. And the Lord said, you should have written her the letter. I said, well, it's too late now. And the answer I got back was, it's not too late. You just need pen and paper and opportunity. Now, at the time that this happened, the end of the party, there was only four of us there, me, my fiance, this other couple, the music we were playing on the stereo. 
I'm looking around to see if anyone else is hearing the words that I'm hearing because I was hearing the words out loud. I was hearing the words audibly. And I will tell you, hand to heart, as sincerely as I possibly could, that there was nothing even remotely futile about that moment of prayer. The other guy got up, announced to us that he was going to use the restroom, and that he might be in there for a while. Did anyone want to go first? No one did. He went down the hall, took the turn, shut the door, and used the restroom. I went over to my friend, kneeled next to her, and asked her, in what I thought was the English language, if she was at all prepared to have sex with this man this night. It didn't come out in English at all. It didn't come out in any language whatsoever. It was pure, unmistakable gibberish. I spoke loudly enough for both women in the room to hear, not so loud that it would be, you know, audible over the bathroom with the fan running, but I turned and looked at my fiancé, and she looked at me like, well, like I was looking at myself. That was pure gibberish. I was trying to utter the most important question, perhaps of that point in my entire life, and couldn't find the English language to put those words together. It didn't matter. Almost like I was speaking in tongues to this woman, and she was the interpreter. It was as if she understood every single word I said. Sex? No, I'm not, I'm not looking for sex tonight. Which gave me the opportunity to say, well, you're sending the wrong messages, and maybe he is. And maybe when, when you make a decision about where you want to go tonight, you should think about here instead of with him, or back to your own apartment instead of with him. She chose instead to go back with him. And she left that night with the phone numbers for both me and my fiancé in the event that anything happened. As it played out, nothing did happen. She, armed with enough information, I suppose, began sending different signals. He got the message, and it all worked out. I honestly don't know if that isn't how things might have played out no matter what anyway. It's hard to say. I, I don't think this guy was some sort of a monster or anything, but... It was clear to me that a misunderstanding was going on, and it was also clear to me that I had perhaps been called to, to not let that misunderstanding happen. And it was happening because I was only partially obedient to the answers I'd received in days previous to prayers. So, no, I refuse to acknowledge the idea that prayer is some act of futility. It's not wishing the storm would level the house next door instead of mine. It's not hoping that my football team wins and the coach of the other team gets fired. It's it's none of those things. It's not praying for my political candidate to be um, the winner in the elections and named president and for the other person to drop dead like the scum they are. It's none of that stuff. Because all of that stuff has some sort of notion of a conditional future, which while it may be true for us walking this earth, it's not true for God. It's not true for someone who is supposed to be, in the eyes of the ancient philosophers, Always present, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good. That sort of necessary being is always living in some sort of now. When I was praying earlier that week, this is a friendship. I haven't had a friendship like this since high school. In high school, most of those friendships went well. This one last one went really terribly. I don't want to have another terrible experience. I don't want to go there. God was living in the now of a week later saying, I need you to be there. So I'm going to tell you what I need you to know here to get you to the point where you can be in that room at that time. You can be in the right place at the right time for your now because God is already there in his now. And prayer is in some ways making sure, being more than words, 
I'm not just hashtag pray for Orlando. Now go away. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Bye, Felicia. Not that kind of Christian. I'm the kind of Christian who wants to be there when I need to be there. And the reason that I can, if I can, is because God is already now and today, tomorrow, the next day, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's all that eternal now. And through that now, I've raised a prayer and gotten an answer to a prayer. And that answer to a prayer has made all the difference in the world, not just for me, but for other people, other real people, people that I know and people that I love. If prayer is, well, if we go back to our scripture, if prayer is this notion of not just saying, hey, uh, hope you're well, hope you have plenty to eat, hope you're warm, but finding out, have they lost their shelter? Have they lost their coat? Have they gone without meals? And sharing my prayer life with them, if that's appropriate, over that meal, having already figured out that shelter question. Otherwise, it's faith without works, and it's dead. Or in other words, if prayer is a reason not to act, then yes, prayer is futile. But if prayer is the process of asking the question, Lord, what would you have me do? Getting the answer to that question and acting upon it, well, then prayer is exactly the opposite of futility. And maybe, just maybe, it isn't that far beyond our comprehension after all. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. Lord, I remember February 7th, 1987 at 1.37 a.m. Central Standard Time like it was yesterday. And I remember the exact words that I heard through prayer with you. It is far better to say something that should not be said than not to say something that should be said. And Lord, I hope and pray that all those who follow a similar path to me, considering themselves Christ followers as much or perhaps more than merely Christians, have had these same kinds of prayer experiences where they've given you, in some ways, permission to speak freely. Lord, permission to say, yeah, you could screw this up by saying the wrong thing or using the wrong words or embarrassing yourself, but I need you to speak. And I need you to speak now. And when the time comes, I'll give you the words. And if you need to write them down, get a pen, and I'll help you write them down. Because there's a now between me and you, Lord. And there was a now between me and this friend all those years ago. And there's a triangle that forms when two of us are in relationship with each other and with another person, and me and that other person are in relationship too. Lord, that isn't an act of futility. Lord, that isn't a superstitious prayer for rain. Lord, that's, that's truly hearing what you're saying and having a faith that's living enough to act upon it. So, Lord, as I have for almost 30 years now, I continue to thank you for giving me those words and what those words meant, not just in that situation, but in all situations, in an eternity of nows. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. 
Music by Kevin McLeod. Next on Walk the Earth, the summer of struggle continues. Whether pilgrimage is about a sacred place, the historical past, or just my individual walk. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.